0: It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at wfpk.org, from Louisville Public Media.
1: Oh, man, I'm sick as a dog forever.
0: Consequence Podcast Network.
1: I've never been this nervous in my life.
0: Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with it's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks as always for making your way here and checking out the series. Uh, please do hit that subscribe button while you're hanging around. That way you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every single week. A new one every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, three a week. To keep you up to date on your favorite artists and discover some new ones at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, at Spotify and Podchaser, NPRWFBK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith. with to me, Kyle Meredith, uh, today talking with Ben Montinch of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, uh, the keyboard legend. We're going to get into their uh, their new live box set, Live at the Fillmore 1997, uh, which uh, collects highlights from the band's infamous 20-night sold-out run. Uh, he's going to tell us the idea behind what ended up being a covers-heavy uh, set of shows, their relationship with Bob Dylan, and bringing out deep cuts like uh, Heartbreakers Beach Party that was like a, a B-side from like 82 or so. Uh, ben Muntz also going to discuss why he says that Wildflowers wasn't really a solo album, uh, the unreleased songs that are still in the Tom Petty vaults, and his reluctance to ever perform as the Heartbreakers again, possibly. Uh, all that and more, and I will point out that uh, he had a pretty bad cold at the time, so if you if you hear a little bit of that, uh, wishing him some health while we're here. So let's do this. We're talking... Live at the Fillmore 1997, it's Kyle Meredith with Ben Montinch of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. How are you? Let me just say, first off, uh, what an honor it is to meet you on here. I've been a fan for so long, and second, You're too kind, yeah. What a fun experience it's been to listen to this, uh, this live collection again, live at the Fillmore 1997, 25 years ago, 20 sold out shows you guys did, yeah. And uh, and you've compiled it, and and I think somebody says the first time you all have released a live record in uh, well over a decade at this point. So it's um, this has been fun for me. What's what's I don't know. Let's just start with the easy stuff, right? What's this era mean to you when you look back at it?
1: It was really good to step out of the uh, the arena thing. I, I, arenas are really fun to play, and it's a real privilege. Like it's crazy that anybody would come, that many people would want to see us at once. But there's a certain kind of show you do in an arena, or what Tom wanted to do, which was a structured set that's well structured, change out a few songs now and then. But basically, you have the same set. And you do the first couple shows, tune it in. Every audience is different, and they get a show that rises and falls emotionally and everything. It has a beautiful, beautiful shape. Um, and the Fillmore, he wanted it to rise and fall, but it was like, what the hell? Anybody remember uh, Green Onions? Or he'd just start playing Ain't No Sunshine. Or he'd just start playing It's All Over Now or whatever. We would just fall in because, you know, we were the band that really needed to rehearse stuff, maybe the harmonies. But we didn't ever really need much rehearsal. And so what this era means to me is freedom. You know, freedom. And also doing something we hadn't done before. I was a big fan. All a big fan, always of doing something we've never done before. Always scary, but you got to. You can't ossify into this. Here's the greatest hits again, year after year after year. And I don't think we did ossify. You know,
0: and those you know, for what it's worth, those greatest hits. I was remembering as you were saying that I saw you all at Bonnaroo, and it might have been the last time I saw you know the, the gang together uh, when you all did that, and I took my wife, and it was her first time seeing you all. And she goes, oh, my God, it's just like a jukebox for every song to to be able to to walk away from that for a second. This doesn't have to be the greatest hit show. This doesn't have to be the human jukebox show. And still, I mean, is there a challenge to that? I mean, it looks obviously you guys are having fun. You earned it at that point. Everybody's going to show up for a good show. But uh, but but is it a little bit of a, a, a feel like a little bit of a letting go? It was
1: beautiful. At first I thought, how are we gonna do 20 nights and change a bunch of songs? Steve Ferroni has been in the band for two years and did one long tour with us, but he doesn't know all this stuff. And one of Tom's calling audibles is stuff that Ferroni has never heard. Ferroni certainly rose to the occasion. And I think we all did. It's letting go. It's freedom. It's a relief. It's a challenge. It's an absolute joy. Absolute joy. I it started something that we would do. I think in the early two thousands, we did a stand at the Vic Theater in Chicago. And we did a stand at some point at the uh not as long these stands, but at the Vonda Theater in Los Angeles. And we also did a run at the Beacon Theater in New York in I think 2010. It was one of my favorite things we've ever done. But this is what what set the idea that, oh, that's really, really fun. Let's do it. If Tom didn't, I was guaranteed that fun. If Tom hadn't had fun, we wouldn't have done it again. And I think, I know, I'm sure he wanted to do more things like that. Not at the Fillmore necessarily, but maybe another stand at the Beacon. Maybe a stand here and there where you just say, who cares? You know, he's such a great songwriter. The songs that we covered were always good songs. So my thing with him was to always annoy him and say, hey, man, we, uh, you can play these beautiful songs you wrote that are on the album that not everybody knows, but they're so compelling from the first line. You're not going to lose a soul, and you can play one or two of those and then follow it with I Won't back down. You know, we can do that. And he was like, he wanted to keep a focus in the show. But we did, when we put out a record in 2010, Mojo played tons of stuff from that. We didn't, um we weren't just plugged into the jukebox. But in a place like Bonnaroo, you have a big crowd and they are going to want to have that, I think. And so a place like Bonnaroo, it was it was the way to go. It was the way to go,
0: you know. I get to see you guys a few times, but I, I do have such great memories of that. I mean, when you all would do, I should have known it. And Tom would just stick out his arms when he would do that line. I mean, that's oh, yeah. iconic moments, you know. That's...
1: He, you know, he was so good. The thing about Penny is he was a great songwriter. He was a great singer. He was a terrific band leader. He was a really cool guitar player. He was a wonderful singer. But he was a terrific band leader. He kept this band together for the most part. For I think Mike played with him for... 47 years. I think I had played with him for the better part of 44 years, 45 years. He kept the band together. Ferroni was the newest guy. He enjoyed the band in 94 95. Scott Thurston had come along to help with some stuff brilliantly in 1989 or 90. And the band that we ended with had four of the five original members, plus an extra person, which was Scott. Um, And the only person that hadn't been in the original lineup on the record, really, was uh, Steve Ferroni on the drums instead of Stan. And to manage to keep that together, and when we lost Howie, to bring Ron Blair back, because he's so good, for the original lineup. 20 years of Howie Epstein, and Howie, unfortunately, got taken down. And Tom, you know, he was something else. It's easy to just take a look at it and go... Oh, that's simple. He just did this basic thing. It's really like, oh, everybody, go try to do that. Go try to write Free Falling. I dare you. You know, go, go show me a song that starts with him trying to make Jeff Lynn laugh and still has a lot of humor in it, but still has a good bit of pathos in it. But everybody can sing along. You can't do that unless you are extremely gifted. And he did it again and again. The film where we got to play a bunch of that stuff, but also all this stuff that we knew and loved since we were kids and stuff that Tom knew, old folk tunes, or that Scott Thurston knew. Tom wanted to do some bluegrass, and Thurston said, do you know Little Maggie? And he played and we were like, holy moly, and and Pat, he said, "You sing it. You sing it great." And he does. That kind of thing was just to to get cut loose, to play what we would play if nobody was was there. This is the kind of stuff we would play in rehearsal to avoid rehearsing.
0: <laughs> and we'll be right back right after this. Shout out to uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky, in the Midwest, and allergies. A S T E P R O Allergy.com. That's A S T E P R O Allergy.com. Astapro and Go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
2: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
0: Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Ben Montench of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It's even, when I look at it, even more impressive that you guys were firing on all the cylinders, as the phrase goes. But um, because it was only a year before that it was sort of the, the reunion, you know, Tom, Tom had done the solo stuff and everything. And, and and you all got back together for She's the One. So whatever time off there, like you get, it doesn't even sound like there was any time off.
1: Well, here's the thing. This will always be my little contention. I understand why Wildflowers is called a solo album, but that ain't a solo album. It's the whole band with uh, Steve Ferroni. Ringo's on a couple of tracks. We have a um, bass player on, a, diff- a different bass player on a track or two. But for the most part, it's Mike and Tom or Howie on bass. It's me and Mike and Tom, and, uh, and Howie and, uh, and, and Ferroni instead of Stan. So we didn't have any time off. The solo records that he made, the, the ones like Full Moon Fever, I would call an actual solo record. Well, he made the record and then we went out and toured it. He never broke the band up. He never like went, I'm going to get a different band to tour this record. They aren't all on this record, but I'm going to get a different band. You know, the Heartbreakers exist because Tom was making a solo record with the finest players in Los Angeles. Al Cooper, um, Jim Kellner, Jim Gordon, Eric Gordon, all these legends. And he came down to a session that I was doing some demos. I asked him, come down and say, tell me how to sing on a real mic or play some harmonica. Stan and I put together a band that was Mike Campbell and Stan and Ron Blair and a couple other folks, right? Tom came down and he went back after that night said to his producer, I don't want to make a solo record with a bunch of session players i want a band but i want the band that ben and stan put together he was a band guy he wasn't going to go any other way he simply wasn't going to go any other way so we've never had time apart musically we never really had time apart musically
0: I guess that's to me sort of like when um Lindsay, buckingham and christine called their record Lindsay and christine and not fleetwood mac even though everyone but stevie was
1: <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah um but that's, it's totally legit. And for Tom to say that that was a solo record is totally legit, but at the same time, look at the credits. So we didn't, it wasn't any kind of reunion. Wildflowers and She's the one weren't any kind of reunion. And Full Moon Field was made so rapidly that wasn't any kind of reunion either, the tour for that. So yeah, we, we could never reunite because we never went anywhere. But the Fillmore, the Fillmore was just hey, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this. I just stayed quiet because Tom knew B-Sides by the Zombies. He did this deep song. He had the idea to do Slaughter on 10th Avenue, I think. And I knew Mick Ronson's version. I didn't know the Ventures version. And we worked it up off the Ventures version. But, I mean, who's going to say let's play Slaughter on 10th Avenue? Not many people. You know, Bruce might say it. Costello might say it. But that's, you know, a pretty rarefied company. And I don't know if they ever did it.
0: You know, when you're when you're covering those songs, and this might be a throwaway question, but uh, do, do you find that like you all do, knocking on heaven's door? You got Dylan. You all have a relationship with Dylan at this point. Do you find that it's different when you know someone when you're covering your friend as as opposed to covering just like you know uh, heroes of your youth, which I know Dylan was one of those as well. But uh, it, like, does it ever feel different in that in that regard?
1: You know, Tom and Mike, <clears throat> nobody overthought things for me really. If I had been paying attention, if I had been asked this question, then I think it gives more legitimacy for us. It's a great song. Tons of people have covered it and done it fantastic. We had played it with Bob. And so we weren't just pulling, locking on Heaven's Door out of somewhere as a cover, just throw in. We had played it with the cat who had written it. And he had a certain swing. And those of us who were in the band at that time, um, do that swing and so it had that but I didn't really think about oh we used to play this with Bob I was just like this is a great song am I going to play it on organ or piano tonight right because that was the other beautiful thing is I had the freedom to play whatever on whatever instrument and Tom never really told me much play this on the organ or piano he did sometimes so I would play it on whatever unless it was important like refugee to play it on the organ but these shows, it's like if we played a cover one night and then played again the next week or eight days later, it's 10 days later, I can I just go, okay, well, I'm not gonna play it on. It's a great song. Knock on Heaven's Door is a great song. So all you do is just let the song go then the song will tell you how to play. So Knock on Heaven's Door, the record of it is astounding. It is so short, it is so strange. It has such an odd little sound and beat, uh, Kelper playing all you want to do is maybe evoke that with a song like that, and you knew that, that you knew what to do or you know a way to do it from hearing the record when you were a kid, right
0: I guess <laughs> <laughs> I't do nothing it is beautiful moments out there though, and and the fun moments I mean you you know you have the uh the audience member who yells out Heartbreakers' Beach Party. And, and when Tom says, I don't think we've ever played this one before. And then you all, I, I don't, was that true? Is that as a spontaneous moment as it comes across in this record? Because it, you know, for a, a song at that point, that was nearly 15 years old, I think is a B-side. And you all just right there on it.
1: Well, we always thought it was a really cool B-side. He, it was never on a set list. I'm sure. He may have just thought of it on occasion over the years, but I'm sure he didn't remember, like I don't remember, if we had ever played it in front of people, maybe once or twice. But Ferroni, for damn sure, had never ever played Heartbreaker's Beach Party, and neither had Scott Thurston. Howie may never have played it, but I mean, what are you going to do? Ferroni had absolutely never heard it, and he's a champ on it. That kind of thing, and getting to play the, uh, not just Green Onions, <clears throat> but Hip Hugger with the beautiful Booker T instrumental. I love that song. There are two times that it goes through the turnaround in the course of it. I played the wrong notes both times. You know, I just couldn't I just couldn't get my head around it. Who cares? It's beautiful. The rest of the band played the right notes. So that kind of moment. You're working without a net. Everybody's happy to see you working without a net. They want to see you go up to the edge, and if you stumble and recover, well, that's even more fun. That's the thing where Charlie Watt's live. We'll go into the drum fill, and you might think, "How's he going to get out of this?" He knows how to get out of it, but it's like it's thrilling, and so uh, it, it's alive. Music needs to be alive, recorded or in person or whatever. And you know, this is what we were. We were a good band, you know. We are a good band.
0: That's an understatement. Uh, I will say from my end, <laughs> You're one of when people say, "Who's the greatest?" American rock and roll band and when they put Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers right up there at the top, it makes sense every time to me. You were a good band. You were a great
1: band. I'm glad to hear you say that. Thank you. I'm glad to hear you say that. I, you know, I always just wanted to be better so I wasn't paying attention. I knew we were good, but I wasn't paying attention that much. I was like, okay, how can we be better? Now that Tom's gone and we've been going through some stuff. Brian and Mike and Adria and, and I go through stuff and put things out, the few box sets we put out. And this one, I go, you know what? Damn. We, it wasn't just that he was a great songwriter. He was a great band leader. We were really the band. And I like, I like that. Because I wasn't paying attention then. I was like, that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. I just wasn't saying it to them. I was saying it to me. And um, hey, it's a nice feeling. I'm glad this is out. I'm glad this is out. The Ulster Deluxe, set, which I know costs a mega amount of money, is I think four hours of music, is what Ryan O'Yank said. Among those four hours of music is a version of Johnny Be Good. The Tom starts as Johnny Be Good, very quickly forgets the words and starts singing Bye Bye Johnny's lyrics. But on the chorus, he sings the chorus to Johnny Be Good. And now that's rock and roll. You can't remember one song about Johnny the lyrics in the other song about Johnny
0: and the fans eat that up every single time. Uh, I, that's the stuff that I look for. You know, you, we, we're here talking about the vaults and, and the box sets that come out and, and that's <clears throat> what's in there. I mean, we're getting, you know, the, the collections and the live stuff. I, I, I don't, I don't know what you can say, what you can't, but are there, are there albums in there? Like when we think of like Prince's vaults and stuff like that, you know, we always
1: recorded more than we put out, but, we always put out what we thought was the very best. But very but fairly often, every now and then, I would wonder why a song had been left off the record. Keeping me alive and keep a little soul were both left off of Long After Dark. And on American Treasure, I think, a really good version of Keeping Me Alive from Long After Dark came out. And then for and for the same set. Ryan found um, Keep a Little Soul, and I almost started crying because I had forgotten the song, and I had always loved that song, and been baffled why it wasn't on long after Dark in the first place. Ryan's gone through everything, I think, and whether there's anything, I know that there's really cool stuff between Mud Crutch, Mojo. Hypnotic Eye. I think there are alternate versions, completely different versions of some songs, and also a lot of songs that go on those records. Um, the both Mudcrutch albums have stuff that's killer. Um, there are, there's one or two really great songs that we recorded in 1973 in my parents' living room, um, just completely live to two track. There's a couple of really great songs on there. So there's all sorts of stuff, but what is going to happen with it when it would come out? I don't know. I hope it comes out because I think it's cool. But there's even more. The canon knows where everything's buried. Is Ryan? He's a he's a master at all of this stuff. He's the man with the golden key.
0: When I heard "Keep a Little Solo," I mean that that is one of those moments. Like, really, that's what's not good enough, you know? And I remember like waiting for the night when is I think it was playback that that came out. And that was one of those moments. Like. You know, the toss-offs are greatest hits in that sense. I mean, just it's again. Like,
1: why, why, I know George Duculius reworked the rhythm track for what's called the demo version of The Apartment Song. Why would you not put that, that out? We had it for Southern Accents, and I think it was just Tom and Stan or a drum machine or something, and maybe me playing organ and Stevie singing. I mean, Why? That is so spectacular! Such a great version of Tom and Stevie singing that that came out. The version on Full Full Moon Fever is nice, but there's a vibe when he sings it with Stevie. I mean, you know, so there's more stuff in there. there. There's absolutely more stuff. He had his reasons. He thought it didn't fit into the feeling of the record. I don't know. You know, i I really don't know what his process was. But you know, massive, massive, massive respect for for his process.
0: Yeah, you know? I mean, I think we're all guilty of that. You don't hear a song one day, and then sometime later, it's like, oh my god, how did I, how did I miss that? I mean, we're guilty of that. And I, I, you know, I, the other side of this, you know, as we talk about the past, is is what it means to the present. And we do get these great vault releases. You know, I've I've had Mike on here a few times and talked to him, and I think there's a lot of people will always ask this question: is like. What does it mean to be a heartbreaker now? Is it is it a vault collection? Do you you know, I know Mike's still a little bit like, I'm not sure about, you know, if you all could play a show as the Heartbreakers. I mean, do you feel like that's still a possibility?
1: No, I don't want to. You, you never say never. No. Sean Connery said I I will never do another James Bond movie and when he did another, he named it Never Say Never Again. But you know, it isn't the Heartbreakers without our. Hell, a rhythm guitar player, an occasional lead guitar player. It just isn't the heartbreakers. It without Tom, it's like, are the Rolling Stones gonna play without Pete? No. You know. I mean, would you go? No. Would they would they want to do it? I, I, I you know it's their business, but you know, Led Zeppelin didn't continue. So to me it's like, no, I don't wanna play. I don't wanna do a heartbreaker show. I'd love to play with the heartbreakers. Um I would love to play in different groups, groupings, or let's go to a soundstage and just bloody play. But I don't really want to do the heartbreakers. This is me personally. I don't know how Mike feels or anything. You know, not, it's it's yeah. There's no reason. There's no reason. Maybe somebody would pay us some money, but I don't feel a reason. You bring me a reason. If we had a reason, then I would be all aboard if there's something that makes sense to me as a, a real reason to do it. But I don't really feel it right now.
0: Well, I, I will say selfishly, the magic that you all have when you are together, that's what I get out of it. And that's what I love seeing. And you know what? If, if it doesn't happen live in person anymore, then I turn to a box set, like uh, Live at the Fillmore, and I watch you guys pull it out night after night there. And I can still appreciate that.
1: It only plays out with people. My- just did a Dirty Knob's tour, Stan was the drummer for part of it. I have a record coming out next year. I play solo gigs around. You can come see us and you never know who's going to show up and sit in. But if you want some of that thing, you know, go see the Dirty Knob's, you know. Go see whatever is up to.
0: Well, Ben Mutt, I know you got to go. I'll let you. And uh, thank you so much for talking, uh, taking the time to talk about this live at the Fillmore 1997. It's such an honor. I do hope you get to feeling better on top of that. Uh, thank it's you. A- Rotten and cold. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Hey, thank you, Kyle. Have a
1: beautiful, beautiful day.
0: My thanks to Ben Montench. Again, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the new live box set. is called Live at the Fillmore at 1997. Thanks to you for checking out this episode. Please hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with the whole series. Again, you get three brand new interviews every single week, new and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, wfpk.org youtube for the video versions or anywhere you get your podcasts from subscribe to kyle Meredith with then after that head over to wfpk.org that's where i do a show monday through friday 6 p.m eastern an hour full of song premieres and music news anniversary spins bonus interviews monday through friday 6 p.m eastern at (laughs) wfpk.org Consequence has your music and film news. Of course, you can also find me on the social media spots: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. All three of them. The address is at Kyle Meredith. So I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. Consequence Podcast Network.
1: I'm okay. I'm just supposed to take it easy, and this is not hard, you know.
0: It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at wfpk.org, from Louisville Public Media.